Father, thank you so much for your love. Lord, I pray that you convince our hearts of the immensity, the enormity of your love for us. That that you have spared us, that you have satisfied our sin debt. Lord, I pray that that would, that, that would settle in, that would be established and rooted in our hearts this morning. Father, that we would believe the gospel because we know that if we believe it, we are changed, transformed, and that the gospel becomes primary, becomes, becomes the passion and the purpose of our lives. Because no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life. And the fact that you, Lord Jesus, call us friend, oh, is, uh, is something that continues to overwhelm me, uh, continues to uh, be something that I have to in, embrace wholeheartedly. And I just thank you, Lord, for what it is you want to show us through this beautiful letter. And I pray that you would um, touch our hearts, transform our lives. Father, I pray if there's one among us that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would capture their gaze, their heart, their mind, their lives this day. And, uh, and that you would transform us for the purpose of the gospel, that we too might be eager to preach the gospel, knowing that the good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as you're turning in your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 1, I, I, I want to reflect upon um, one of the songs that we sang this morning. Because the middle song that we sang this morning talked about overcoming. In Romans chapter, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 12, it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, first and primarily, and the word of our testimony. And it's our testimony about what Christ did in the shedding of His blood. It's our testimony about the fact that we know that we are loved and treasured, um, and that we are, we are, uh, we are forgiven, and now God's grace has been, has been expressed to us, and God's righteousness now abides with us. Um, man, this is something that I'm still trying to get my mind wrapped around. And the more that God helps me to understand this, the more my heart explodes with worship and gratitude. And the more my life longs to serve Him by sharing the gospel. Amen? Like that's, so in that song we sang, it says that it starts off with enthroned in the Father's love. Right? Who's, who, who's the, the lyric talking about? Jesus, right? And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So let's put this together. Um, and probably not a new concept, but maybe a different facet of this glorious diamond that God loves you. God loves you. He demonstrated that love at the cross. While we were in such a sinful posture, God initiated this great rescue mission for us and He served us in the most extravagant way by humbling Himself. The Lord Jesus humbled Himself, became a servant, and became obedient to the cross, to death, and died for us to display, to, to unpack for us the grandeur of God's love for us that is wider than we can conceive, deeper, more, more profound. Nothing can overcome it. And, and what I, what I hope that, that that continues to reveal to you is that we have to, we, we come to Christ through believing His Word. As Marty talked about this morning, like, it's the Word of Christ that cultivates faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of, of Christ. And so we, we understand that, that it's in believing His Word that we've even come to know the wonder of salvation, the wonder of, of, of being, being rescued by the God of the universe. And so, but it continues that, you know, we are, we're saved and then we're being saved or we call it sanctification. And then we're going to ultimately be saved when we come face to face with our bridegroom, with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be saved because we're going to see him for who he really is. And then we're going to be transformed into his likeness. Complete. Now, in that process, we've got to keep believing. We've got to keep exercising this gift that God's given us in faith. And this is what the gospel does for us as we continue to... I mean, like, I don't ever get tired of hearing the gospel. And by the way, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and His His death, His willing sacrifice, burial, and resurrection. And because of that, as the song goes on to talk about, that second song, Overcome, talks about He had victory. And do you know that He shared that victory with you? As a believer, we now overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Man, this stuff just lights me up. 
Like this gets me so excited. It just causes worship to happen, like to explode. So often we, we minimize worship to a song and it's not. It's being a living sacrifice. Worship is the, is the overflowing of our hearts when we are blown away by the love and the grace of God. We worship. We worship in the, more, the most purest of senses when we, when we just worship him for who he is. God is so good. What a glorious understatement. But God is good from his standard of goodness. He is good. And he's expressed his goodness to us in Christ. He's giving himself to us so that we might know him. That's the, that's, that's the goal, guys. The goal is not to make our life all pretty. And Our goal is the gift is him. And, that, and we won't see the, 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 the full expression I mean, we get a taste of it now, yeah? But we won't see the full expression of that gift until we are on the other side of this life. And that's our hope. And that hope sustains us in the midst of trial and and suffering and pain and anguish. Man, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good news that that garrisons our heart, that gives us such a, a strong hope in our own resurrection because your resurrection is sure and true. Never to die again. And so we know life because we know you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And thank you that you made a way that was perfect so we didn't need another way so that the only way to the Father is through you. Lord, let our hearts be satisfied in you alone, as Trevor mentioned earlier, Lord. Let our hearts find our passion and our purpose in you and you alone, because there's nothing more worthy to give our life to than the gospel. And Lord, let that continue to, to, to seed our hearts with passion and purpose and obedience and faithfulness and peace and joy and hope. Lord, I, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. It is in your faithfulness that we're found faithful, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans 1, starting in verse 8. Uh, Trevor did a phenomenal job last week giving us an overview of this glorious letter um, and then really unpacking the first seven verses, which, <laughs> go figure, you know, on the other side of Easter, you know, talk about the resurrection and what it and its implications in our life. Um, Rome. Uh, Rome was, uh, man, this is a rough context. I mean, they had a 48,000-seat coliseum that would just depict like murder on a regular basis and it would be, 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 uh, be celebrated. Um, and so this culture that this letter is being written into was a culture, and, and he's primarily talking to a Greek, a Roman Greek culture. Um, so we understand that back in, in Claudius, Emperor Claudius, in, ni- in uh, AD 49, I want to say 1949, in AD 49, had all of the Jews expelled from Rome because there was so much conflict over Christ. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't understand it from that perspective. And the Christian faith was so tied to Judaism at this point. You know, this is what, 20 years, um, not even, um, since Jesus had been resurrected and ascended to the Father our advocate before, the, before God. And, uh, and so in this context, um, uh, uh, Emperor Claudius sent all Jews out of, out of Rome. And Aquila and Priscilla, two friends and tent makers uh, of Paul, were a part of that, that expulsion. And uh, it's into this context, uh, Trevor mentioned last week, that there's probably 26 individuals that... Um, that he was aware of or knew. But Paul had never, ever been to Rome. It was his heart to go to Rome and then on to Spain. But he had never been there, and yet he talks to them with such warmth and such love and such community. I mean, referring to them as brothers and having and, and making the statement that I long to be with you. I've, I've purposed to come to you many times and that I'm constantly in prayer for you and I'm so thankful for you. And so this is the backdrop to this particular portion of the passage, and we're picking it up in verse 8. Um, if, you, um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. Um, and there are Bibles in the seat backs or the seats in front of you. Uh, grab one of those, and on page 661 is where we're going to be 
this morning. And, uh, and again, if you don't have a Bible, let it be our privilege to, uh, to give one to you. Come see any of us after service, and we'd be honored to do that. All right, um, we're going to pick up in verse 8, because that's where we left off last week. And, uh, and I'll begin and uh, read through verse 17. First, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13, I, I come to you, I'm sorry, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, uh, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what's the big idea this morning? What's the overwhelming concept? Uh, we were at a conference as a staff a couple weeks back, and, um, and one of the, 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 the folks that were speaking says, whatever the main point of the text is, is the main point of your sermon. You know, let's, let's not get off track. I, I know there's been uh, folks that have, you know, had a point, and then they try to make Scripture fit their point. You know, our point should be what Scripture says. And this morning, the point, the big idea is the gospel powerfully changes our lives. Anybody got a testimony to that? Anybody know the reality of that for themselves? Because for me, that's one of the most pressing evidences of, of the reality of truth. And so the gospel powerfully changes our lives. Um, two basic themes in this passage are two basic uh, outline breaks in this passage. Number one is thanksgiving. Paul is really kind of talking a little bit about thanksgiving here in verses 8 to 14. Um, and, and particularly in a prayer for a missionary or a, uh, an apostolic visit to Rome. And then secondly, which becomes the thematic element or the thematic verse of all of Romans. Like this morning, we're talking about what's the theme? What's the, what's the purpose of Romans? This, this is the theme verse of Romans in verses 16 and 17, but I really believe that 15 is kind of the precursor to that. And so the, the, the theme is this, the gospel of the righteousness of God. The gospel of the righteousness of God. So let's pick it up in verse 8. And it says this, First, first thing, I thank my God. And I love that Paul d- declares God in a very personal expression. I thank my God. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And here's the deal. We don't have the privilege to come into his throne room and to express anything like adoration or thanksgiving if it isn't for Christ. And so he's, as he expresses things, as even in his own conversation, as he has just these statements, he is declaring truth that I thank my God. So a heart of thanksgiving through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Why is Paul so thankful for a church he's never visited? For the majority of the people that will receive this letter, he does not know. And yet he is overwhelming with gratitude. It says, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, wow, this is a pretty profound thing, for, especially for an individual that has been through Asia Minor and, uh, and Macedonia, you know, Philipp, uh, in Philippi and, and Thessalonica and Berea, and then down into Archaea where we, we, we looked at in Athens and, and Corinth. I mean, this, this, this is a, a man that God has used and told him he will suffer much for me, that he has used to plant churches 
and to establish the gospel. And the gospel's power has rescued and saved lives for, for a decade now. And uh, do you think it was of any encouragement to him that would express itself in gratitude that now there's this church that God has raised up, um, maybe through Peter's preaching at Pentecost, to, to be this bold, incredible expression to all the world. Like, there's a church that is having an impact that's global. Now, I believe that one of the, the largest reasons for that is that this is the epicenter of the world at this point. This is, I mean, this is Rome. This is the center of the Roman rule. And so, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of challenging for us as America. How many of you have, have lived outside the country for a significant period of time besides Ashley, Sheba, and I? Okay. Marty, Germany, right? Where else? Lee, London, England, right? Mike? Japan, awesome. England, yes. Germany? Other hands? Jimbo? South Korea. I mean, and we probably have more and more. Yes. Switzerland? Brazil? Okay, so around the world. Um, it's, it's, it's profound, it's interesting that if you've ever lived outside the country for a significant per- period of time, you get a really, you get a strong sense that America has an incredible influence on the world. Now, you know, mine is, is more the Caribbean. <laughs> um, and so I, we're in close proximity, but I've read countless occasions, uh, about other cultures that are just impacted by by mostly by our media, which isn't really telling, you know, <laughs> about the, the, the real heart of our, of our culture, or is it? And what was going on here is that this Roman church, because the whole world is watching them, this Roman church, and, and we have to understand that faith without deeds is, is a dead faith, that this is, their faith was in action to such an extent that the world was aware. The world knew of their faith, and this was a massive encouragement to Paul. So after introducing himself, the first thing that Paul says to the Roman Christians is basically, I thank God for you. Anybody ever said that to you? I I make a, a point of trying to say that to people that I know are a gift from the Lord. Because, because, that's what it is. We, we, sometimes we, um, maybe it's in our entitlement mindset or, or just a, in a sense that, you know, I just, I'm a wonderful person. But do we acknowledge that, that, that the people in our life, the, the fellow, the body of Christ, the, the, our fellow believers that are gifted and wired intricately to, to, uh, to interact with one another in the purpose of sharing the gospel, but also to edify one another, do we, do we thank God for that? And do we let them know how thankful we are? So Paul says, I thank God for you. Do you think that was of any encouragement to them? You know, that Paul, I mean, he had a reputation. This guy was, God was using him to change the world. And, and he was saying, man, I thank God for you. I think that would have bolstered the church. Why? Why did he say this? Because your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. And so... My first thought, I've already mentioned it, do we thank God for others? You know, because part of what we see in this passage is Paul in his prayer life is thanking God for the Roman church. How much of your prayer life includes thanksgiving? It's one of the many things I appreciate about Trevor. I mean, he opens his prayer time, and I get to pray with him a lot. He's thankful for everything. You know, usually for the day is where he starts. But, but like how much does Thanksgiving have a reference into your prayer life? Because I think sometimes I'm guilty of, you know, praying for the sick and the, and, and for healing and for encouragement and for, but, but I think Paul gives us a model here that really should, I mean, like the gospel kind of, I think, breathes this into our, into our lives and into our prayer life. Back to the Lord is just thanking God for people. Do you have a list of people that you need to thank God for? I encourage you on your Sabbath today to do that. Just to sit down and thank God for the gift of others. Second, this Thanksgiving 
uh, no, excuse me, is Thanksgiving a consistent part of our prayer life? Um, number three, are others hearing about our faith? Are others hearing about our faith or your faith? Not just on social media, and I'm not saying that's not a good avenue to, to declare the, the word of God and, and faith, but it's, it's faith in action. It's our, it's our actions expressing our faith. And that's not something that we have to conjure up or work at. It's the more we focus on the gospel and, and its impact in our own life, it's a natural response just to, to, to act in faith, to, to walk in faith, as Marty read in 1 John. So I've heard some stories, and, and maybe you have too. Have you ever heard stories of others' faith in action? Did, did it encourage you? Did it stimulate um, greater faithfulness in you? Did it encourage you, in other words? Were you thankful or even excited? Have you ever seen athletes that, man, just simply, you know, giving God the glory or, or using their words, which is way more profound to just, you know, as much as that, that interviewer is trying to get them to take credit, they're like, no, <laughs> you don't understand, but for the glory of God, you know, and, and uh, does that not just challenge you and encourage you? It does for me. But, but you might be thinking, what difference can I make? I mean, I look at a guy like Paul and others, but, but contemporarily, look at a guy like Tim Tebow, who took a platform that truly hundreds of thousands of others have come to throughout, I mean, not hundreds of thousands of Heisman Trophy winners, but, you know, just people that have been given, like, accolades in the in the arena of athletics and man what a difference by just a humble posture that continues to give god the glory so that the gospel might might be realized by others you know every time that he had a an 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 incredible experience or a a heart-wrenching loss do you know what he would do he would find he would go to the hospital and try to encourage people like when, when others were trying to find, like going to great extents using incredible resources to try to find a fault in him, all they found was convincing evidence that God's alive and, uh, and he's living through this young man. And, uh, and so let's not underestimate the difference the gospel can make, the power of God can make in one life and maybe even yours. Why was Paul so excited? Because the gospel right here, he says, because the gospel was being proclaimed. This excited him. What excites you? You know, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. What gets you riled up? What gets you really passionate? For Paul, it was the gospel being realized because there's nothing more life-altering on the planet than the gospel of Jesus Christ. From my experience, Let's continue. Verse 9 and 10 says, For God is my witness, for God knows whom I serve. And the, the understanding in the Greek on this word serve is very closely tied to worship. We like to separate that, but it's, you can't separate it in, in its original context. When, it, when, when, we used, when Paul uses the word serve here, he's talking about worship. And so we have to draw the conclusion that worship has expression, not just singing a song. Because I think sometimes we minimize worship to being an hour and a half or two on Sunday mornings and singing a few worship songs. But that's, you know, in Romans later on, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's great glorious mercy, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And what does that look like? That looks like extravagantly loving people by serving, by serving. So he says, whom I serve with my spirit, or as the NIV says, with my whole heart in the gospel of his son. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was shipwrecked multiple times, if I was lost to sea, if I was beaten with 39 lashes, if I was stoned and left for dead, if I was imprisoned, falsely as a Roman citizen. I mean, like, these would all be, this would be grounds for me to be a little discouraged. And yet, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. And when we understand in verse 16, what he's talking about there is, I will not back down. I, I, 
the gospel was so primary in his life that he forfeited any sense of comfort, any sort of safety zone or comfort zone. And he was willing to endure because in light of the the, the implications of the gospel being realized by others, his pain, his suffering. I mean, but I believe that he all of that was in light of, of Christ. Jesus did not lay aside pain in order to pursue God's will. He endured it, scorning its shame. You know, like, and Paul, man, this was... This was his life. This was his heartbeat. This was his purpose. This was his passion. Paul served or worshiped the Lord by spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. So the the verse goes on in verse 10. It says that without ceasing, Paul says, I mention you always in my prayers. Paul had an awesome prayer life just based on the way that he expresses this to others, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Two points here. One, I've never known someone to be profoundly impactful for God's glory that wasn't an individual of great prayer and dependency on the Lord. And Paul's prayer life seems to be foundational to his ministry. Doesn't that make sense? Like his dependency, his connection, his communication with God was foundational to to his ministry and to the fruitfulness of it. And it's it's never my ministry. It's always his ministry. And I just get the privilege of being a part of it. And Paul declares his dependency by the by the way that he just begs God and is constantly thankful. In in Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, it says, be thankful, this is verse 18, uh, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we mentioned before, that's not when things are great. I mean, that's just a natural, but you know, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? <laughs> don't even sinners and tax, don't they do that? but love those who hate you. You know, be thankful in all circumstances. Now look, that seems to be not hard, but impossible. And the truth is, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, even though that's talking about contentment. That, that's a, I think that's a far-reaching implication there or principle. And I can't be thankful in all circumstances apart from Christ. But in Christ... It puts all of my circumstances in perspective because I know that God can work all things together for good. And whether I'm suffering consequences for bad seed that I've sown or it's just come to me as a grace <laughs> for the glory of God, my response... And man, when we're called to things like this that are supernatural, to be thankful in all circumstances, because trust me, what the church in Rome's going through, what the church in Philippi went through, you know, what Paul went through, I mean, th- these are difficult and trying moments. And to say, to be thankful in all circumstances, man, that just declares that's something I can't do apart from Christ. And I love that the scriptures always call us to something that's supernatural that can't be done in the flesh so that so that we depend on the lord and we and we and we look to his promises and his truth in order to move us to a different expression when things look dark or dismal right and and the the, the natural response would be uh, you know and yet paul in act 16 in her cell he's singing to the lord what kind of joy is that you know but that 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 flows out of a spring of gratitude because the gospel has overwhelmed him in his own conscience. Does that make sense? Like it's just when the gospel continues to get preached to ourselves by the reading of his word and the teaching of Christ, man, it continues to overshadow and eclipse our circumstances because the hope of the glory and God's presence and power in the now 
just moves us to a different mindset, a different perspective. And this is what moved Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem with a, I mean, he was, he was fixed on his mission. And so was Paul. Why? Because his love for Jesus, his passion for the gospel to be realized by others, because it's, there, it's the greatest loving thing that we do, motivated everything. Motivated everything. And then he says this, asking that somehow by God's will that I now, at last, um, that I will, will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Okay, what is that, what is that saying to us? Very simply, because I'm very excited to get to, get to chapter, verse 16, but we can't miss this. Like, it's very, it's a submitted life. It's a life saying, I'm not going unless he leads. I'm not moving in my own strength and my own will. I'm not going to, because I know where that leads. And I, all I want is his will and his way. And if that leads me to dark places, then though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because my shepherd, he's right with me. He's walking me through it. And his rod and his staff, that's my comfort. I mean, do we know this? That when God leads us, like in Luke 5, when God leads us into deep waters, which he will, he's with us. Because that's the, that's the gift. The gift isn't getting out of it. It's that he's in it with us. He's present in our storm with us. And that is, that is the most gratifying, that is the most um, fulfilling and enriching aspect of God's promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you, Old Testament. New Testament, I'll be with you till the very end of the age. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's an awesome thing. Verses 11 and 12. For I long to see you. Again, this is... This is a, a guy, though he had a, a, a few folks he knew in this congregation, he's talking to this entire congregation because he understands what God has purchased for us in Christ in the community of faith. I mean, do we? I don't. I mean, I'm trying. I really, I, I, I meditate on these things. But do we realize the richness that we have in community with one another? Do we know that the scriptures say that we belong to each other? And that when we have fellowship together with the Father, that we have fellowship with each other, like rich, intimate fellowship, and that this is, what, this is a part of what God wants for us. I mean, why would Jesus pray? He gets what he asked for, doesn't he? And he said, Father, that they may be one as we are one. And this is, this is the heart of the Holy Spirit. This is what God's Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants to unify you in such rich community that you long to be with those around you. You long to be there. Man, when I was out last Sunday, man, I couldn't, I, I, I was giddy last night to get here today. Like I, I long to be together with the church. Small, big, no matter the context, I long to be around the body of Christ because I believe that the, the giver gives through his vessels and instruments. Encouragement, love. You know, like we need each other desperately. Desperately. We can't, we can't afford to miss the opportunity. We should run to every occasion to be with the body of Christ and then run out the door to be a missionary to the world. I mean, our life should just be a bunch of running, right? You know, just excited about everything that we're doing because, man, it's, uh, it's an exciting thing. So he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you. Like, why? Like, why do you want to see me? What do you want, Paul? Right? What, do you want something from me? He says, no, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Like, why do you want to be with others? So that you can bless them. So that you, man, you're so, you're so aware of your blessings that you're blessed to be a blessing. You want to give to others. You want to strengthen others. And when we operate in that type of a context or community, man, it is so rich. It's so edifying. Isn't that the purpose of why we gather on Sundays? So that the church might be edified, built up encouraged, stimulated, challenged. Like, this is why we come together. This is, let our, let our words breathe life, right? Let our actions declare love and leave the rest to God. I mean, look, we all make, anybody didn't make a mistake this week? You know, like, I mean, like, do, do we need anybody to point those things out? You know, God's got it figured out. You know, it's, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance, 
It's your love that humbles me to the floor that tells me, my gosh, all I want to do is, is to please you, Lord. And that, that just calls me to repentance. Man, we as the church get to be this vibrant expression of grace to one another. Like how much does God love us? And now God wants to love us through us. You get to love people. Like that's what we're here for. Like if we can speak in tongues of men and of angels, anybody can do that? Maybe the men thing. You know, like, but have not love, then we're a bunch of noise. And so like we're, we, we've been saved to serve. And one of the ways we serve or worship is by edifying the body, by, by loving and encouraging and longing to be together and celebrating God's presence. And that Man, worship should burst when we come together. It's not something we do or orchestrate. It's something that happens when, communi- when the church gets together. We worship, right? We continue to worship because that's what we've been doing all week. So, he's, verse 12 That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul is just being, he's just saying, look, man, when we get together, your faith builds me up, my faith builds, like this is a beautiful thing. It's as if God like was behind this or something. You know, like it's, it's meant to edify, it's meant to encourage. Man, Motivation for ministry comes out of mutual encouragement. Man, never believe, never for a second believe that Trevor or Lisette or Marty or anybody else, I mean, all of you guys are in ministry. Never believe for a moment that you, you don't need encouragement. And that, and here's the greatest encouragement. When, when you walk in faith through a circumstance that's difficult, you encourage the body of Christ. When, when Dagmar walked through her surgery and walked through it radiantly, trusting in the Lord, I was encouraged by that. I was challenged by her faith. You know, and, and all of you have stories about these things. Like when we walk through dark moments, trusting in the Lord and finding His grace to be more than sufficient. I mean, people I've talked to, Mary said this probably about three or four times, like in the midst of losing her mom. That's tragic. And when you lose them to heaven, though, that's, you know, that's kind of comforting. Um, but like, but how many times she said, I can feel God's presence and grace in your prayers. Because right now I should be here, but I'm here. Right? And this stuff's a reality and we've got to believe it because it, believing the fact that God loves you and that Christ died for you and that you are precious because why else would he give his life for you? Believe in these things, man, this, this, This gives us the the freedom to serve because now we don't have to prove anything. And that's big stuff. The most encouraging moments in my life is when someone comes to faith in Christ. That's, That's fact. Like if I looked, I just was meditating on this and looking back and I'm going, man, the things that rocked my world to tears with great joy and celebration is when someone comes into the kingdom, when the kingdom comes into them. Like that... That I mean, for those that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, when someone gets saved, what happens? Man, that just that gets you pumped up. And when 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 those that are already walking with the Lord walk in faith in His Word, man, that's that stimulates great encouragement. Paul's motivation for going anywhere, as he says in this passage, is to serve. Man, are you not challenged by that? I am. Like, what is the motivation that you go anywhere? Why do you go to school? Why do you go to work? That's challenging, isn't it? Like, why do you go anywhere? Is it, do you go for the purpose of serving or is it self-serving? Because, man, if you're wondering why my life isn't, like, categorized by joy and thanksgiving, maybe, maybe my motives are a little off. Why do I go anywhere? Paul went to serve and longed for the occasion. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, uh, really helps us understand this. It's in, and Paul is the, the author here and he says, uh, There is here for the third time I am ready to come to you, submission to God's will, and I will not be a burden financially. 
For I seek not what is yours, but you. Like, God longs to, you know, John the Baptist in, in John 3.30 says that I might decrease, that he might increase. Like, that's, that's, what, that's what this Holy Spirit's doing, is he's humbling us so that we might actually serve with the mentality of, like, God getting the glory and no one knowing that I was even a part of it. And, and uh, Paul says that I, I was seeking to come to you. Why? Not for what was yours, but for you. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own, to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And, and guys, again, that's a supernatural thing. I mean, we, we have a tendency to default to a little bit of a selfish motivation when, when it comes to things. But to go to work, to serve the coworkers that you're with, would that be a little bit of a paradigm shift for most of us? But that's where God, that's where God wants our heart. And He wants us praying, begging God, begging Him and thanking Him for our coworkers so that He can prepare our heart to be His instrument to love them. That's why Paul went, not, not for what they could give them, but for what they, He could give to them. Verse 13, we move on in our text. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended. Now, why I kind of point that out is this, is that we have intentions, right? Sometimes we want to do this or we want to do that. And, and that's all well and good. But as it says in, in, uh, in James 4, do we hold those things very loosely? And we go, but I intended, but ultimately I, will, I want your will, not mine. I mean, Jesus said, take this cup but not my will, but yours. Can you blame him? And he knew what was coming. And he still submitted to the Father's will above his own. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Um, And I want to say this very quickly, because God will give us the freedom to push through his prevention. I've just been around enough people's lives to see this where we want what we want and we're going to even though God puts up a massive amount of barriers and says no, no, no and for the fifth time no but we push through and uh, and we're going to learn the lesson anyway but God I love that Paul's example here is one of submission to God's will and God's intention. We should move until we know with great clarity and purpose that this is where... And if we're planted somewhere, stay planted there until God brings clarity. In order that I may... And why does he want to come? Why? What was his intention? In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Was he, was he hoping that he could get some grapes or some wheat? Or like, what's he talking about here? He's talking about souls. And Paul's heart is that... that that the gospel might be realized by hearts and lives and that they might surrender their heart. They might believe the gospel and in doing so be transformed. Verse 14. I am under obligation. And what he's talking about here is obligation to Christ. I mean, think about it. I mean, what, what did Christ do for him? How did Christ rescue him from his own endeavor to, to literally persecute Christ? And he says, I am, obliga- I, am, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. And basically what he was talking about there is those inside and outside the Greek culture. I'm, uh, to the educated, to the uneducated, to the black, to the white, to the Jew, to the Gentile. To, I mean, he is just breaking down all kinds of barriers. I'm obligated to the world, both to the wise and to the foolish. I love what um, Alistair Begg said about this. He said, in other words, I am a debtor to the whole world to share the wealth of Christ, the glorious good news. I'm a debtor to the whole world to share the wealth. You know, though poor, making others, remember this, rich. What's he talking about? Man, we, we will never be any more rich than when Christ when, the, when the, the gem of heaven indwells our hearts. You are the wealthiest you will ever be when God is a part of the equation of your life. 
That's a big deal. And, and, and this helps me to understand too. If I had a cure for cancer, right? We might, I might say something like, I owe it to everyone in the world to share it. Right? I mean, that, that would be the most horrific thing to do, but to not share it. And yet, this is, this is an eternal cure for man's ill of sin. Eternal. And we would be horrified if someone had a cure for cancer and I had cancer and they kept it to themselves. Man, sometimes we just need to hear that just so that it just lights a fire under us. And, and listen, I don't want you to do this under compulsion or, um, or reluctantly because God loves a cheerful giver. But the more we understand, the more we, 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 we allow our minds to, to, to be saturated with the gospel, with the fact that God loved us more than, than we'll ever could possibly imagine. And he gave his life willingly and endured the pain and suffering of our death penalty so that we'd be set free to true freedom in life and that we would be born again. Has there ever been any better news been, been given to you than that? I mean, and then... The second point is the theme, the gospel of the righteousness of God, verses 15 to 17. And it says this in verse 15. So I am eager. Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel. That's why I titled the message what it is, because that's what I hear in this passage. Paul is passionate to share the gospel because he knows of the implications. And he says to you, I mean, what a personal statement. Also, who are in Rome. And and let's understand that, that this is not... This is not a tourist visit, it's an evangelist visit. I mean, like, I mean, many of us would be like, oh, I'd like to go to Rome. But like, he's not there, he's not there visiting the Colosseum. He's there, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't have any interest in any of that. He just wants to see lives touched and changed for eternity. Why do we travel? I mean, even on vacation, should, I mean, do we take a vacation from the gospel? Or is that just another venue or even a greater opportunity? I got to read this. Um, many of you know Donna and Donnie Groves. Um, I don't know if you know that they they headed back this week. Um, so we they're they're seasonal, and so we get the gift of them, you know, for a portion of the year, and we we thank God for that. But I'm just going to read a portion of a, a letter that she sent me, um, and it says this. Just and if you know Donna, you you know her heart. Um, we may we may be apart physically, and I'm picking up in the middle here but those but those thousands of miles won't keep us apart spiritually or the opportunity of unity in spreading the good news of God the Father Son and Holy Spirit I may not have the mind to recall scriptures but may my actions words and deeds be as powerful and then Give me the opportunity to share my Bible and the things I wrote in my spiritual journal. Another glorious blessing from my cancer journey. Another glorious blessing from my cancer journey. To be led to write the many things my Lord did for me. Open my eyes to see differently than I ever did before and fill me with joy, thankfulness, and be able to daily give all the praise, glory, and honor, especially with others at the chemo center. The gospel is needed at the chemo center. Donna sees that she's going to another mission field and that it's all about sharing the good news. And I'm telling you that she's she's passionately sincere about that. Man, we're on mission. We don't need to take a trip to do it. And sometimes we do, but that, that, we're on mission every single day. So Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse, uh, this, this is, uh, uh, the paraphrase, um, Peterson wrote it this way. He says, and verse 15, and that's why I can't wait to get to you in Rome, preaching this wonderful good news of God. America, like Rome, needs the gospel because the world is watching, as I mentioned earlier. They're watching. Do you believe America 
Do you believe that America, St. Petersburg, desperately needs to hear and see the gospel? Do you believe that? Because we can get so enamored and distracted by our day-to-day stuff that we can, f- we can forget that people are dying and going to hell. Like that's a reality. And if we want to stick our head in the sand about that, um, that's a shame. Because this is, this is the most important mission on the planet. It really is. What made someone like Hudson Taylor or Jim Elliott or Elizabeth Elliott so eager to pro- proclaim the gospel? I mean, these are folks... I mean, Jim Elliott flew in with three of his, two of his buddies into the Brazilian rainforest to minister to a tribe that had never seen a white person and they killed him. And his wife take, takes her children and goes back, ministers to the very guy leads him to Christ that killed her husband. And now they have this intimate relationship. The whole tribe knows Jesus. And they are literally going out to other tribes as missionaries. And we cannot, we cannot measure present struggles and pain to the fruit because planting seeds is a multiplying experience. A firm conviction that the good news of Jesus Christ is the only hope of the nations. That's what it was. A firm conviction that the good news of Jesus Christ is the only hope of the nations. So what is the gospel? And that's what verse 16 and 17 tells us. What the gospel is. And that's why this is so thematic to the whole letter in Romans. So it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Man, I want to just say for a moment, do you think that a, a guy that's in a plane that is caged and is about they're about to set him on fire to his death, do you think that, that it would be a little easier just to say, okay, I recant? Or do you think kneeling, blindfolded, knowing they're about to take your head off? And we're not talking about stuff back in the first century. We're talking about stuff last week. Do you think it'd be a little easier just to say, okay, I'm going to back off on this? But they're not ashamed. They're not ashamed to speak his name. And they know that by losing their life, the gospel gets proclaimed. They know that uh, Peter and, and Paul were both martyred in Rome, tradition says. Both of them. And here's a guy going, I'm eager to go there. Does that sound a little bit like Jesus? No, I'm eager to go to Jerusalem. Because that's the will of the Father, and that's going to that's going to that's going to equate to salvation for humanity. And Paul had the same eagerness, knowing that salvation at the cost of his own life. He just didn't care, for he is no fool, Jim Elliot said, who gives what he cannot keep his life, his earthly life, to gain what he cannot lose, his eternal salvation. So I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God. What is the power of God? It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. That's what the text says. Here's, here's the implications of that. When we share the gospel, no matter how the world, it says that you know those outside will consider it to be foolishness, but those who are being saved, it's the power of God. But like what we have to understand is, is that the gospel is powerful. The word there in the Greek powerful is where we get the word, is where we get the word dynamite and dynamic from. The word of God is dynamite to... And why dynamite? Because what, what do we have? The Old Testament says oh, a heart of stone. Man, God is about blowing people up for the, for the glory of God, for changing our lives so He can give us a new heart. And the gospel is the power to do that. And all... Man, God just wants us to be witnesses. Not every one of us is an evangelist, but every one of us is called... Acts chapter 1, verse 8, every one of us is called called to tell our story because nobody else can tell it better. You have a story of grace. You are a trophy of grace. Be willing, be postured. Do you know what I mean? Be postured to tell your story. Like, be ready because God is, do do you realize that God is orchestrating hearts and lives all the time? He is doing it through difficult circumstances. He's going doing it through a litany of things all so that he might walk one of us in there and share the gospel and blow it up and give someone a new heart and a new life. Do, do you realize that's what God is doing? That's what God is doing. God is saving and rescuing lost. 
Like those that are far from him, he's drawing them near through the blood, through the sacrifice, through the gospel. And so when we walk in, unbeknownst to us, and we just postured on our lips, ready to declare the hope that lies within us, we have no idea the circumstances that God has orchestrated in order to plant that seed in their heart and change their eternity. But that's God's desire. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? The power of God for what? For salvation to everyone who believes. Like, it just seems so simple, so childlike. Hmm. Like, it seems so simple. I just have to believe that Jesus literally came, embodied perfection, and, and he didn't become a sinner. He became a savior. Let's never, let's never miss that. He didn't get on a cross and become a sinner. He, he became the propitiation of our sin, for our sin. He became our Savior because sin could not hold Him because He had none of His own. And so He rose out of the grave, put, put death to death so that we could live. This is what God's done for us in Christ. Man, I always, it blows my mind that the church doesn't go, yeah, every time something like that's said. I know what's going on in your heart, right? I, I believe that. So like, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, we get that chronologically, and also to the Greek. Now, don't miss this. For it is for in it, what is in it? What is it? The gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, the, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Man, don't miss this. How righteous is God? I don't think we spend enough time thinking about this. And let me tell you why. Because it's that same righteousness that's been imputed to you that's been given to you so hear me out on this what god god those i mean we were in complete rebellion against him we didn't love him we didn't want anything to do with him we had broken his law we are we were sinners we had turned our back on him and it's while we were yet in that posture god demonstrated his love for us and christ died and not just any death, not just, okay, I'm going I'm to take it for you. Like he took, he took the most excruciating, the most brutal death because what, it, what, it, what was going on in that moment, no matter the expression, beard ripped from the face, spear in his side, nails in his wrist, six hours of basically drowning on his own bodily fluids. That's what happened. His lungs filled up and he could no longer pull himself up to breathe. Suffocated. But... All those are just expressions of the wrath of God that was due the sin of humanity that he willingly, nobody forced him to do this. Willingly, he endured and God willingly poured out on his son because he said he he would do it. And he did. And that is the righteousness of God. That is the righteousness of God. And I don't think that I could explain the righteousness of God. It It is profound it is amazing sin that cannot cannot stand in its presence it's like it's like light to darkness and that's the righteousness that has been given to us in this great exchange for our sin and the gospel is the power to reveal to manifest that into our lives one it shows us god's righteousness two it imputes that righteousness to us and then three, the faith that we're being given, we, we walk in righteousness. That's the gospel. This, this is in the smallest context. I mean, we know that John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not, not God's word perish, but have everlasting life. But here it is. And Paul says, I will not be ashamed of this. I will not back down on this. I will not shrink back on the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Belief seems so simplistic. But with God's help, and we desperately need it, we can believe in this glorious good news that literally puts God's righteousness in us so that we stand before God. How else do we get in His presence? How else do we wander into the Holy of Holies? How else does God impregnate us with a Holy Spirit, like put his very spirit in us if he hasn't made us clean? He literally 
has, and guys, here it is. You got to keep believing what God's word says. You might say, I believe that Jesus is savior. I believe Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Absolutely. But you, you, we don't stop there. As the passage talked about, make sure I say this right, because it's different for, for me in the NIV. Uh, from faith for faith. We have to understand that that we continue to walk by faith. This is what righteousness does for us. This is what God's Spirit does for us. He helps us to walk in faith. Man, it's so rich. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. See, Paul was... Do you think that maybe Paul, at any point in time, based on all the circumstances he faced, do you think that he was ever tempted to shrink back? I don't, if I was stoned and like barely alive, I, I might be a little discouraged. I got to believe based on the circumstances that are described for us in Second Corinthians that he had these moments. So my question for you is, are you ever tempted to be ashamed? Tradition describes Paul as a small, balding, uh, bad eyesight and a poor speaker. That's how tradition explains. And the scriptures are a part of that. Are you encouraged by that? And here's a guy that perseveres. You know why? Because he wasn't putting these, he wasn't putting a stock in the flesh. They're not going to get saved based on my good looks or my ability to speak. I can't even see him. You know what I mean? Like, so like, so do you think he had an opportunity to, for excuses and to shrink back? I believe he did. And do you think he ever thought, I can't do this? I believe he did. But I think it was a monetary, it was, it was a fleeting thought because he was always enriched in the gospel because he had the mind of Christ. And it was that that he continued to garrison the church with as he preached the gospel and encouraged them to do the same. If it depends on me, I have reason to shrink back because I know my limitations. Moses at the burning bush. But if it depends on the power of God and the gospel, I'm not ashamed. Do you get that? Like if it depends on God, I'm not ashamed. I'm assured of victory. I am, I am confident in Christ. And that my calling is just to scatter the seed and let God do the growing. Let God do the harvesting. Let God do through whatever means and instrument He chooses to use. But that, that we would be faithful to be ready to give a hope, to give the gospel to those that are perishing, that are, that are hurting and hopeless. Listen to this as we close. Mark 8.38 says, this, this is Jesus' words. This is, this is sobering. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father and the holy angels, and with the holy angels. That's sobering. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 8 to 12. This is challenging. This is encouraging. Therefore, do not be, he's talking to his protege. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of that, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, he says something very critical here. He says, share in the suffering of the gospel in your own strength, right? No, he says, by the power of God. What is the power of God? The gospel, right? Share in the suffering of, of the gospel by the gospel who saved us and called us to a holy calling, but not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. His own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages, before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death, abolished. Can you, if you got your Bibles open, can you just highlight, underline, put a circle around that? Who abolished death. Do you believe that today? On the other side of Easter, do you believe that death has been abolished? Death has been put to death? Who abolished death and brought life, brought life and immortality to light through what? The gospel. For which was appointed... A preacher, speaking for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And don't don't be don't be amazed, don't be confused why you're suffering. 
But listen, listen what he finishes here with in verse 12. He says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. Do you hear this? For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. We have been given a commission as the church, a, a cooperative mission. It says, therefore go, verse 19 of Matthew chapter 20, therefore go into all the nations and make disciples. Do you know the catalyst in that? The gospel. It is the only instrument. It's powerful. It's effective. It works. And we need to trust God enough to declare his gospel to those that are in desperate need. I think... We often underestimate the gospel, as I mentioned. It's the power to transform lives and those around us. Those who love the gospel and believe its power to transform hearts and lives often depend on the pastor rather than the Holy Spirit. Charles often says, don't, don't, you know, talk about the pastor and the master. Like, that's where we need to put our trust. Look, I don't come up here, here on Sunday. If I come up here on Sundays and I believe I've got something, I got nothing. You know, what I, what I understand is I can have, I can have emphatic confidence and trust in the Lord if I'm about his business to share the gospel because he'll put those words in my mouth. He's promised to do that. And I'm putting my faith in his promises. And so I just want to be an instrument. And you know, it's the glorious thing. When we do what we're called to do and we're made and created by the God of the universe to do within the context of his providence, Man, it's the most glorious. It's, you're doing what you were made to do. It's the most satisfying thing in the world. <coughs> Nothing else will satisfy, as, as Trevor mentioned, but Christ. If you're here today and you've never believed the wonder of God's love for you, if you're here today and you've never received the gospel for yourself, if you're here today and you've never say, said to the Lord, I believe, I believe that you died for me, for our sake. I believe that you were dead in the grave, but you didn't stay there. I believe that the tomb is empty and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father as my advocate. I believe that I stand in the righteousness of Christ. I believe that you loved me and gave yourself for me. Why? To reconcile me back to yourself. I believe. If that's you today, I encourage you to let one of us know so that we can be an encouragement to you because it's amazing to me. I, I had a I had, a, I had a friend that I was ministering to for years and years and years and years, and there was always an there was always a, an objection, always something. To, what about this? What about this? What, and I remember, and it was one of the sweetest moments. I remember he was coming over the, the Howard Franklin, and and I remember it because the, the the signal drops off, and and he said he called me up, and the first thing he said out of his mouth, I believe, I believe. Man, I just wept. I knew in the moment, like I knew everything that was happening in that moment. Guys, God will help you believe. You can declare like the dad of the demon-possessed boy, I believe, but help my unbelief. But don't leave here today without believing this glorious good news that the God of the universe loved you and Jesus gave his life for you so that you might know the love and mercy of God and then be a herald of that mercy and that grace. Let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, for the promise that it never returns void, but always accomplishes the purpose for which you have sent it. Father, find us faithful to scatter seed. Find us faithful to not be going into any venue for selfish purpose, but to serve. And that you would keep the gospel in our minds and hearts and lips so that we would be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And Lord, we thank you that your gospel is good. We thank you that it's powerful. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave us everything we need to believe that you are the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe. And finding ourselves to be your subject or servant is our greatest honor and privilege. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.